0: In our uh, last meeting together, we began to address a question that has intrigued mankind throughout human history. It's a question that each of us, at some point or another, will mutter to ourselves as we wrestle with life's difficulties. The question is a simple one, yet I'm sure that many of you can relate to it, and the question is simply this. What is this world coming to? And it's uh, coming to this. There you go. What is this world coming to? Uh, the fate of planet Earth has uh, long been a point of debate among men. Uh, the doomsdayers today warn of uh, such things as uh, global warming, uh, the consequences of a diminished rainforest, uh, the depletion of the ozone. There's ongoing fear of uh, natural disasters such as volcanoes and earthquakes and El Nino flooding, as well as the continued concern of wars, biological, chemical, and nuclear. And if uh, that isn't enough, and if these things aren't enough to think about, we've had a uh, new fascination or an added dimension now, and that's the potential destruction of planet Earth by a gigantic comet. You know, I, I, I don't know if uh, the Hollywood's latest version, if some of you have seen that movie that's out recently, it's called Deep Impact, and it's generated nearly $50 million in box office revenue in its first week of release. And it also has prompted a news release by NASA that found its way to the front page of the LA Times this past week. I don't know if any of you saw it, but it's intriguing to me, so I thought I'd share it with you, and that's this. NASA orders 72-hour secrecy on asteroid threats. Edict applies to discoverers of objects approaching Earth. News blackout won't work, some say. Worried by a recent incident in which an erroneous report of a doomsday asteroid caused worldwide headlines, government scientists have begun an exercise in the ultimate spin control, how to handle news of a disaster that could destroy the planet. In a sharp departure from tradition, NASA now wants astronomers to keep news of any Earth-threatening comet or asteroid secret for 72 hours but at least some scientists believe the effort is doomed. If an asteroid were hurtling Earthward, they argue, NASA would probably not be able to keep this news to itself even long enough to double-check orbit calculations, let alone enough time to prepare a policy. Goes on to say, that argument, however, has not deterred the National Research Council, which on Wednesday urged astronomers to find a better way to report the discovery of asteroids or comets that might threaten the planet. Already, NASA is putting together new procedures to ensure that senior officials can control any announcement of a potential planetary threat. An international working group is mulling guidelines. And in June, the Research Council plans to convene and, uh, astronomers and experts in risk assessment and hazard management. Ooh. What's the point of all this? The point of all of this is that we all want answers to the question, what's this world coming to? And as we continue in our study of the book of Daniel, that question will be answered very clearly and in no uncertain terms. And if you've got your Bible, turn with me to Daniel chapter 2 as we pick up where we left off, as we address the question that all of us want answers to, and that is, what is this world coming to? Daniel chapter 2, we start with verse 1, we read these words. In this chapter, there are four things that relate to our question. Starting with verse 1 in chapter 2, we read this, Now in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams, and his spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him. Then the king gave orders to call in the magicians, the conjurers, the sorcerers, the Chaldeans to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is anxious to understand this dream. Then the Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell the dream to your servants, and we will declare the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, the command from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you will be torn limb from limb and your houses will be made a rubbish heap. But if you declare the dream and its interpretation, you will receive from me gifts and a reward and great honor. Therefore, declare to me the dream and its interpretation. They answered a second time and said, let the king tell the dream to his servants and then we will declare the interpretation. The king answered and said, I know for certain that you are bargaining for time inasmuch as you have seen that the command from me is firm. It says that if you do not make the dream known to me, there is only one decree for you, for you have agreed together to speak lying and corrupt words before me until the situation is changed. Therefore, tell me the dream that I may know that you declare to me its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, there's not a man on earth who could declare the matter for the king. Inasmuch as much as no great king or ruler has ever asked anything like this of any magician, conjurer, or Chaldean. Moreover, the thing which the, command, the king com- demands is difficult, and there's no one else who could declare it to the king except God's, whose dwelling place is not with mortal flesh. Because of this, the king became very indignant and furious, and gave orders to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree went forth that the wise men should be slain, and they looked for Daniel and his friends to kill him. As we look at this, we see the reaction of Nebuchadnezzar to this dream, and the dream basically was a fixation on the question that we're addressing today, and that's, what's this world coming to? You know, here he was, the king of the world at this particular point in history, and yet his sleep left him. He had fame, he had fortune, he had everything, the material things, any material thing you could ever want in life, and yet the Bible tells us that he was so concerned that he was agitated to the point where he couldn't sleep. He walked back and forth and paced within his bedroom chambers because he was so troubled by this dream. And the dream was more than just a dream that he was having because he had pepperoni pizza the night before. The dream was a recurring dream, and it was a dream that was basically a message that came direct from the throne room of God. As we'll see, God wanted to reveal to Nebuchadnezzar the future history or what this world's coming to, so that not only he would understand it, but we would clearly understand the plan of God as well. And so his concern kept him up at night. So he was so concerned and so troubled by all of this. He discovered, as so many of us have discovered, and so many before him and after him have discovered, that neither position of greatness nor personal ability can produce mental uh, peace and security. He recognized that there were times in his life where there were things that were going on that he had absolutely no control over. And it troubled him. Because you would think sometimes if you're king of the world, all your problems would be solved. And yet he found that his problems were magnified because he knew as king of the world, he thought that all of his troubles would be solved and yet there were things that were still even bigger than him. King of the world doesn't get much bigger than that and yet there were times in his life where he knew what was happening was out of his hands and out of his control. And so as a result, he was so troubled by this, he commanded that there was a committee that was formed and the committee that was formed with all the heads of states that he had All of the, the, the brightest people available, human wisdom that he had at his disposal Can you st- I mean, think about that for a moment it's, a, it's like the President of the United States having access to all the world's great leaders Or all the greatest leaders this nation has to offer People that are on his State Department and every form of government He invited those who were military leaders to come and talk to him about it He invited those who were his attorneys and the great legal minds of, of his particular kingdom To come and talk to him about this problem that he had He invited those who were religious leaders to try to sit down and ascertain what it was that he was dreaming and what what it had to do with his kingdom and what the world was coming to. He had all of that. He had the the directors of the heads of every branch of intelligence agency that he had at his disposal. The head of the CIA, the head of the FBI, the head of the Secret Service. He had them all and they all came and they formed this great committee and they were going to try to determine what it was was troubling the king. And what's interesting is he even invited those who are astrologers or psychics. We read about things like that all the time, of secret meetings between psychics and astrologers and heads of state trying to ascertain what the future holds, what's tom- what, what does tomorrow hold, what's this world coming to, and they're all looking for answers. And none of them could produce. It's interesting, I saw a, a sign recently, I thought it was kind of cute when it had to do with astrology and psychics, but apparently there was a, a convention of psychics who were meeting at a local convention center and a, this sign was posted on the doorway of a meeting room. It said, the committee meeting today has been canceled due to unforeseen circumstances. So, you know, it's, it's kind of like when uh, uh, the, well, who was the, uh, the gal there, the, 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 the friend psychic network. It's kind of like when they went bankrupt. And I love what one news reporter said in distant passing. He goes, yeah, the psychic network weren't bankrupt today. And then just talking to somebody else, he looked over and said, you know, you would have thought they'd seen that one coming. <laughs> but uh, apparently they didn't, you know. And, uh, and, and, and neither did the people that he had brought together. They couldn't tell him. They couldn't answer. They didn't know what the world held, what the future held. And it's fascinating as you look at all that. You know, there are times in life, very simply, there are, there are times in life where human wisdom is futile. I know there are many people who want to place all the you know, they want to put all the weight on human knowledge and human wisdom. But let me just share something with you. There are times in life where human wisdom is futile. It's just not going to be enough. And he realized that. And he got frustrated by it because he commanded he commanded them that he would tell them, that they would tell him not only the interpretation of the dream because it had precedent. The precedent was anytime the king had a dream, he would tell him what the dream was, and then they would begin to explain to him the interpretation of the dream. Well, he knew from past experience that there were many times where they just made stuff up because that was the kind of information that they fed the people around them. And so basically what he tried to do is, he didn't want to get caught up with all the mumbo jumbo that goes on with this group of men. And he said, look, you know what, to protect himself, he's thinking, I need them to tell me the dream and the interpretation. Not just the interpretation of what happened. You know, we see this all the time. I don't know if you've ever seen these psychics that are on TV, the mumble jumble that they give to people, and they look at you and they say, you know, I, I see a woman. I see a woman. I see a woman. No, I see a man. I see a man. It's a man. I see a man. I see an old man. No, I see a young man. A young man. That's what it is, a young man. I see, I see, I see an illness. An illness? No, I see an accident. It's an accident, right? It's an accident. It's an accident? Yeah, it's an accident. And you got people going, yeah, that's it. How did you know? Ooh. It's like, you know, he wasn't going to get caught up in all that. Hey, 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 oh, I see a dream. I see a dream. I see a dream. I see a dream. A dream. Yeah. Well, what did you see? Uh, we were hoping you'd tell me. Was it? Was it a dream? Up, uh, you know what? Just tell me the dream, and then tell me the interpretation. And if you don't do it, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> I like that approach. <laughs> Isn't that great? Wouldn't that be great? You'd just wipe out a whole industry worldwide. Can you imagine? Look. Okay. Tell me the dream. If you don't, we kill you. If you do, we'll pay you. I like that. All or nothing. All these places, they'd be closing down real quick. Tell us or, or die. Well, they couldn't tell them. And they were real confused by it. And the confusion was, hey, you know what? Uh, we're, we're dead. Because uh, no one's ever asked us to do this before. We can't do this. There's no way. Could you imagine them all huddling together, all the wisdom of the world in one room, going, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? What are we gonna... Oh, we're going to die. And they were scared. And rightfully so, because they didn't have an answer. They were confused by all of it. They didn't know what to do. No great king ever asked any, anything of any of his leaders before like this. There's no man in the world that can do this. And you know what? They were right. And the third thing I said is only the gods could understand what you are requesting. And I love this. You know why I love it? Because it sets up the stage for the capability of God. God can do all things. And as we're going to discover, he knows the answer to what lies ahead. He knows what this world is coming to, and it's right on target. His plan is coming to fruition. The problem with most of us is we don't know what his plan is, and that's what we need to understand. What is this world coming to? The stage is set for God to answer the question that haunts many of us today. What is this world coming to? Now, the interesting question is this. What is Daniel going to do? as he's confronted with the same issue. You know, Daniel's one of the wise men. Daniel's under the same edict or the same command. Daniel will be put to death and so will his friends, just like all the rest of them. What is Daniel going to do and how is he going to respond? And that's the question that we're going to look at here because now we see the request of Daniel. Look at, next, look at the next verse in verse 14. I love this. So the decree went forth in verse 13 that the wise men should be slain, and they looked for Daniel and his friends to kill them. Then Daniel replied with discretion and discernment to Arioch, the captain of the king's bodyguard, who had gone forth to slay the wise men of Babylon. What's fascinating to me is that Daniel wasn't found with these other guys. He didn't come to the king when they first asked for all the great heads of state to show up. I think Daniel remained separated from them. I don't think he wanted to be associated with them. I don't think he wanted to be mentioned in the same breath or context with them. He was busy doing the work that was assigned to him, and yet he separated himself from those who he knew were wrong before God. He maintained his integrity, and that's why he wasn't there. So when Arioch went out looking for Daniel and the other wise men, he went out looking for Daniel and his buddies, and when he found them... Basically, here's what Daniel had to say. And this is the turning point of this particular chapter. If you remember in chapter 1, look at chapter 1, verse 8 for a second. The turning point in chapter 1, verse 8 was this. But Daniel made up his mind he would not defile himself with the king's choice food. There's a point in time in Daniel's life where every crisis that arose, he made made it known exactly where he stood. And in this particular passage we see in verse 14, then Daniel replied with discretion and discernment. The Bible says he replied with discretion and discernment. Uh, The uh, the, the, uh, New International Version says Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. The King James says Daniel answered with counsel and with wisdom. Counsel is advice based on biblical doctrine or truth. Wisdom is application of doctrine for experience. It's taking that that knowledge that you have and applying it to the situation at hand. That's what application is all about. Wisdom and counsel just as he did in chapter 1, verse 8, Daniel approached one of the leaders in authority, uh, this time the director of the Chaldean FBI or Secret Service or or CIA, and he says basically to him, you know what, what's going on here? He wanted to know what was going on. He wasn't afraid. He wasn't panicking. And here's a principle that I want to point out to you that's very important, and it really is a principle for courageous living today in our culture, and that's this. The principle is simply this. Daniel knew that as long as God had a purpose for his life, that nothing could happen to him. Daniel knew, as long as God had a purpose for his life, that nothing could happen to him. But he also knew this, that if God no longer had a purpose for his life here on earth, that nothing he could do could keep him here. Do you understand that? He knew he had confidence in God. God, He knew that if God had a purpose for his life, that no man could do anything to harm him. But he also knew that if God's purpose for his life was over, that no man could do anything to keep him here. Do you understand how important that is for courageous living today in our culture? Do you realize that you have the hand of God protecting you and surrounding you? There is nothing that could happen to you or me that isn't ordained by God, that we're in God's hands. There's nothing that anybody can do to you or me that isn't ordained by God. We can live courageously because of it. And if today's the last day that God has for you here on earth, there's nothing that any man, including yourself, can do to delay that appointed day where it is appointed for a man to die once, and then comes judgment. What a wonderful truth, and what a wonderful way to live your life. Daniel wasn't all shook up by this. He wasn't afraid of what was going on. He wasn't in a panic. Oh, what are we going to do? He knew God was in control. He wasn't worried about it. It's fascinating when you think of all these things because you know, here was a man who was courageous in spite of the circumstances of his life. God would provide a solution. Daniel knew that. Daniel understood it. Daniel understood that there was nothing hidden from God. And this dream that Nebuchadnezzar was having and the interpretation of the dream, it was like, come on, challenge me with something. Think about this for a moment. Let me ask you a question. How do you handle a crisis in your life? <laughs> <laughs> I'd ask your wife, because <laughs> I think you are the crisis in her life. But again, you know, I may be wrong. How do you handle a crisis? Think about it from a practical standpoint. How do you handle a crisis? Are you relaxed? Are you confident in God? Or are you not so like Nebuchadnezzar, driven by emotions, pushing buttons, filled with panic, reacting? You know, a cool head is vitally important in a crisis situation. An, hyster- an hysterical person, uh, you know, cannot think clearly and therefore will react improperly. Daniel is under control. He's thinking from a godly perspective. Look at verse 15. It says, And Daniel answered and said to Arioch, the king's commander, what, For what reason is the decree from the king so urgent? Now, that's not panic in his voice. Why, why is it so urgent? Man, there's no trial, there's no hearing, there's no getting together to discuss it. He he issues an edict that if you don't tell him what he wants to know, he's gonna kill everybody. Now talk about overreacting. He's gonna take every person that he's trained personally within their administration, the brightest of everyone that was available in their culture at that particular time, and he was gonna react and kill them all. Talk about overreacting. But Daniel's like, okay, what, what's I don't know, what's the big deal? I can almost see him yawning in some ways, you know? <sighs> What? He wants to do what? He wants to kill us all. Hmm, why? Give us the scoop. Tell us what's going on. I mean, that's basically Daniel. He wasn't shook up about any of this. He was like, tell us what was going on. So he tells him everything that was going on. He briefed him as to what the problem was. And it says, Ariok informed Daniel about the matter. And that's basically what was going on here. Daniel went in. Okay, look at this. Is this great or what? So Daniel went in and requested of the king... That he would give him time in order that he might declare the interpretation of the king. Can you imagine? What was Nebuchadnezzar all upset about? That the wise men were trying to what? Buy time. They were stalling. Daniel, it shows you what kind of favor that, that God had put on the life of Daniel. Daniel found favor in the sight of Nebuchadnezzar because of his past performance, I'm sure, because of his ongoing integrity, because he was a man that was committed and he wasn't a man of compromise, because he wasn't a man that had anything to do with the other than the other nonsense that was going on. Daniel had the boldness in God to go approach the throne of the king, which meant he had access directly to the king, so he found favor in that way, and he went to the king and told the king, uh, you know, Mr. King... Uh, just give me a little bit of time And I'll interpret the dream uh, And not only interpret it But I'll tell you the dream And he asked for that Now these other men Had already asked for that And they said And Nebuchadnezzar went nuts he said, Don't ask me You're just stalling Daniel went in And asked the same thing And the king granted him Favor in his sight Isn't that fascinating Can you imagine The, the, the confidence that Daniel had in God That he could approach the king And say You know what Just give me a little bit of time And this is all going to work out Okay and, and I'll get back to you. Now, here's what happened, though. Then Daniel went from there, and the problem moved him to prayer. Look what it says. Then Daniel went to his house and informed his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, about the matter. But what it did. It says, in order that they might request compassion from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his friends might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Another question for you is this. When you're faced with a crisis... How do you handle it? Where do you go? Who do you turn to? Where do you go for advice? Where do you go for counsel? I want you to notice a principle here that's critical and it'll carry you through the rest of the the days that God gives you here on earth. And that's this. When we are confronted with a crisis as God's people, the example that Daniel leaves is an example that is is repeated over and over again in the Word of God. And that's this. When Daniel was faced with a crisis, it moved him to pray. It moved them to pray. It moved them to prayer and also fellowship. Is that how you handle problems that arise in your life? Or do you take matters into your own hand and try to make stuff happen? Backdoor politics, knock on doors, secret phone calls, all the stuff that goes on in the world that we live in, all trying to manipulate the outcome so it comes out the way we want it to. When you have a crisis in your life, is that how you handle it? That's not how Daniel and his friends handled it. They were moved to pray. Not only were they moved to pray, but what's interesting about Daniel is this. And here's another question for you. Where do you go when you've got a problem in life that's a crisis in your life? Daniel went to his friends. These weren't just the, you know, average friends, superficial friends. Let me tell you something about the depth of their friendship. These were men whose minds and souls were filled with the word of God. These are men who understood God and the things of God. These are men that when Daniel went to him and told him the situation, that all of them sought the counsel of the Lord and the Word of God. That's the kind of friends that we need in a time of crisis not opinion people, not philosophy people, not people that tell you what you think or they think or what they think you should do or what they even did in the same situation. I don't need friends like that and neither do you. We need people that we can go to in fellowship that will turn us on to the Word of God and say, you know, it's funny that that you mentioned that because you know exactly in this situation, in this passage, in this man's life, in the life of Job, in the life of Daniel, in the life of Abraham, here's a situation that took place and that's exactly what you're going through today and it parallels your life. Let's learn something from what they did and how they responded to it boy i'll tell you what this is a great passage for me that's going to carry me through the rest of my life because i'll tell you what i was one of those guys that like to try to make things happen on my own god i don't want to bother you with this you know because this isn't really a big one yet i'm saving it up for a big one do you ever think like that i don't know maybe i'm just messed up but the bottom line is sometimes i think like that it's like okay i'm waiting for a big one and then i'll ask god for that one i don't want to burn it up yet they want to burn up my favors, and then I'm thinking. And here's how stupid I am. I might refer a run the other day, and I'm thinking, you know what, Chuck? Uh, and this is God, Chuck. Let me ask you a question. Okay, what's big to me? What's big to God? You may think it's huge. God says, "Oh, come on, try me." Give me something tougher than that. I'm holding the universe together. What's your little world coming to? Okay. Got the point. The point is what? It moved them to pray. And look what it says. In order that they might request compassion or find mercy. I like that. To find mercy. You know what that means? That you just throw yourself at the mercy of God. There is so much nonsense in our world today and I think it's time that we clear up this a little aspect of it if we can and that's this. There are people out there who would try to let us believe or lead us to believe that if we know a verse or passage and we claim it and we throw it in God's face then somehow God's got to do for us what we want Him to do. Duh! Where did that come from? Let me tell you something. God does not answer prayer because of the worth or the effort or the character or the work of the one or ones who are praying. Do you understand that? God answers prayer on the basis of His cutting us some slack. Demonstrating His mercy to us. Mercy is the grace of God in action. When Jesus was approaching Jericho and He was going through on His way to Jerusalem... The Bible tells us there was a blind man who stood on the edge of the road and hearing that Jesus was coming, he cried out in a loud voice, Son of David, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. Daniel and his friends got together and they cried out, God, have mercy on us because we're going to die. And as we'll learn about these men, but they understood, but if that's your will we'll still praise you anyway. Job said, even though God slay me, I'll still trust in Him. These men understood that, you know what? They were at the mercy of God. God, it's all up to Your mercy. If You want to reveal this dream and its interpretation, that's all in Your hands and You can do anything You want to do. But we're throwing ourselves down upon the mercy of God. Men and women, the sacrifices of God are a broken heart. A broken and contrite heart, oh God, you'll never despise. Nobody enters the throne of grace with confidence that hasn't first thrown himself upon the mercy of God and trusting in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. We're told that we can then go boldly and confidently to the throne of grace because we've already experienced the grace of God through Jesus Christ. But there's no man in his humanity, in his fallen state, that can ever approach the, the throne of God and say, you've got to do for me because I've done this for you. That's nonsense. God says, you throw yourself at the mercy of my throne and I'll decide what I'll do. And that's exactly what took place. So they threw himself on the mercy of God. And what's fascinating about it is this. And God, in verse 19, says, then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. The mystery was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. God answered his prayer. He answered the prayer of these men. And what's interesting is this. He answered it right away. Why? Because God knew all things are open and laid bare to him to whom we have to do. God knew the, the time constraint that was going on here. He knew already in Nebuchadnezzar's heart that Nebuchadnezzar wasn't going to put up with any more delays. He already made that quite clear that he was sick and tired of all the delays, and he wanted an answer, and Daniel knew at this particular time, Lord, we're throwing yourself our th- ourselves on your mercy, but you know what? You already know what's going on in the guy's heart. You know how much time we have, and you're going to have to answer it any way you want, and God answered him that very night. God answered him that very night. And you know, because he answered him that very night, the answer moved him to praise God. We would say in verse 20 of, uh, of uh, the same chapter, we read this, Daniel answered and said, let the name of God be blessed forever and ever. I like that. Can you imagine? Daniel, okay, Lord, you're going to let the dream be known to me or not, the interpretation may know to me or not, we're throwing ourselves upon your mercy, and here he was, he revealed everything to him, and I'll tell you what, we're talking shouting time, praise the Lord. This guy was pumped up. Praise the Lord, as we would say today. And he's saying, blessed be the name of the God in heaven. Yahoo! That's country. <laughs> Daniel answered, said, hey, let the name of God be blessed forever and ever. Wow! Psalm fifty fifteen says this. Call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. I like that. Here it is right here in the flesh. What is he saying? Call upon me in the day of trouble, in the day of your crisis, in the day of the event that you think it's out of your hands, there's nothing you can do. God, I need your help. He says, Call upon me in that day of crisis. And look what God says. And then I will deliver you. And then your response? You will glorify and praise me. And if you do that, we got ourselves a great relationship. You call upon me, I'll deliver you, then you praise me, and you give me the glory. And that's all God requires of us, folks. Call upon him, he'll deliver, then you praise him. Isn't that wonderful? It doesn't get any simpler than that. Go home with that one if that's the only thing you catch today. Daniel recognizes that God is a God of heaven. Look what he says. Daniel answered and said, Let the name of God be blessed forever and ever, for wisdom and power belong to him. And it is he who changes the times and the epochs. He removes kings and establishes kings. He gives wisdom to wise men. Notice that. He says that God is a God of heaven. He sees all things. God of heaven is a phrase that's used only in the captivity letter or the captivity books, which is a fascinating understanding of God. When God was removed, his presence from the Holy of Holies in the temple in Jerusalem. And he was taken, and and it says that that Daniel and his friends understood that God was a God whose presence filled the heavens. He was a God of heavens. Read in Nehemiah chapter 1. Nehemiah prayed to the God of heaven. The Bible says over and over and again, when Nehemiah was in a crisis situation, it says, and then he prayed to the God of the heavens. And that's exactly what he did. Daniel's friends had no limited notion of God. They understood that his presence filled the universe. He says that he's the God of heaven. He in his prayer, there's some things I want to point out to you. First is the character of God in verse 20. He says, for wisdom and power belong to him. Wisdom is the understanding of all things. Power is the capability or the ability to be able to do anything that he wants to do whenever he wants to do it. In fact, we see that in verse 21. It says, and it has to do with the control of God. And it's God who changes the times and the epochs. He removes kings and establishes kings. This is important as we'll see in a few minutes. He gives wisdom to wise men and knowledge to men of understanding. God's got it all in control. There isn't a king that hasn't been a king because God hasn't established him as a king. And there isn't a king who hasn't has been removed from his throne because God has removed him. That's exactly the way it works. God is in control of all things. The control of God. So Daniel wasn't worried about his captivity. He's certainly not worried about Nebuchadnezzar. He's certainly not worried about what Nebuchadnezzar would do to him because he knows that he's in the hands of God. Sometimes we forget that we don't always understand what the future holds. Not in every detail. We're going to learn a lot here in a second. But what we do understand is this. But I know who holds the future. I may not know what the future holds in every area of my life, but I know who holds the future, and it's in Him I trust. And the same was true in Daniel. He was a man of courage and and conviction because he knew he was in God's hands. It didn't get any better than that. No better place to be. He goes on to the comprehension of God. It is He who reveals the profound and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells in Him. Can you imagine? God can reveal anything. There's no mystery to God. The mystery of what's this world coming to is not a mystery to God. There's no darkness at all. God understands it all and He sheds light in darkness. He's saying if that's an area of your life where there's darkness and it needs illuminated, then guess what? God is able to illuminate that area of your life. He's able to give you the answer to that question. God is not a God of darkness and confusion and chaos, but He's a God who wants to give direction and purpose and He has a plan and He wants to reveal that plan to mankind as we'll see here in a minute. He's going to answer that question. God knows us. He knows everything about us and He loves us just the same. And that's a good reason to shout and praise the Lord. He goes on and says in verse 23, To thee, O God, my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for thou hast given me wisdom and power. Even now thou hast made known to me what we requested of you. He he involves his friends. Hey, this isn't just about Daniel. This is about Daniel and his friends that were praying together in earnestness. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man or men accomplishes much. And that's what happened here. He was excited because he revealed that dream and the interpretation to all of them who were in that group. You've answered our prayer for thou hast made known to us the king's matter. Look what it says. So therefore, as we go on, it moved him to action. The opportunity moved him to action. He knew the answer, and it was time to go address it. He knew the answer to the question that Nebuchadnezzar had in his mind, and that was, what's this world coming to? And now it was time for him to be courageous and tell him exactly what the world's coming to, even though, as we'll see, it's a message that he could have been afraid to deliver to Nebuchadnezzar. And it's the same message that some of us could be afraid to deliver to our friends and family. They may not want to hear what this world's coming to. They might not want to know what God's plans are for their individual lives or lives collectively. But you know what? Because of the courageousness that he had and the spirit of God living with them, and he went to the king and he was about to tell him what he thought he wanted to hear, and we'll find out if he really did. Now what's fascinating is as he goes to reveal this dream to him, look what happens. It says, therefore, Daniel went to Ariok, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and spoke to him as follows. He says, don't... Now, Ariok was the guy who was in control. He was the chief assassin. He was the guy who was supposed to go out and kill all these guys. He said, don't kill anybody yet. So don't kill him. Do not destroy him. Take me into the presence of the king, and I will declare the interpretation to the king. Now, here's a fascinating thing. Then Ariok hurriedly brought Daniel into the king's presence and spoke to the king as follows. I have found a man among the exiles from Judah who can make the interpretation to the king. Is that true? No. Why isn't it true? Because Daniel came to him and said, take me to the king. I can interpret the dream and make it known to him. Arioch went running in looking for some brownie points. Typical man, always trying to take credit for himself. Hey, king, I got this guy here. I found him. I went out and got him. So if this all turns out okay... Remember who brought him in? The king answered and said to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, are you able to make known to me the dream which I've seen in interpretation? You like? I like that. You know what he's saying? <laughs> it's kind of like he's saying, you know what? Are you really able to do this? He would already gone through with all the rest of them. He's saying, you know, are you really able to do it? Are you going to tell me the truth or are you just going to make something up, try to buy some time and work your way through this thing? Are you able to do it? Now look what happened. He goes on and Daniel says this. Daniel answered before the king and said, As for the mystery about which the king has inquired, neither wise men, conjurers, magicians, nor diviners are able to declare it to the king. I like that. Contrast Ariok to Daniel. Ariok, look who I found. Daniel, I can't do this. And none of these other guys can do it either. Because here's what would happen. And he understood this. They were all going to die together and they would all be promoted together. They would all take credit for what was about to take place here. And Daniel, going back to Psalm 50, recognized this. In the day of crisis, we called upon you. Lord, you answered us and delivered us. And now we want to make sure that we praise you and give you all the glory. (laughs) Daniel would take none of it himself. He would deflect all of it back to God because all the glory goes to God. And so he said, there wasn't any of these guys, by the way, all these other guys here, they were all standing around outside going, hey, we're all in this together, all in together. There, and I could just see him going, you know what? None of those guys, including myself, could answer the question that you have. However, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And he has made known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what will take place in the latter days. And this is your dream and the visions in your mind while you were on your bed. And now he's going to reveal the dream. And I can just see Nebuchadnezzar sitting there wondering where this is all going to go. And Daniel starts. As for you, O king, while on your bed and thoughts, turn to what would take place in the future. Now, in order to understand prophecy or events that take place in the future, sometimes all we really need to do is read carefully the passage. All right? Now, what was the question in his mind? The question in Nebuchadnezzar's mind was, what is this world coming to? What is my world coming to? What is my kingdom coming to? How is this all going to turn out? That was the question that he struggled with over and over. And we know that because God revealed it to us by saying, as for what would take place in the future, and he who reveals mysteries has made known to you what will take place. Here it is. But as for me, the mystery has not been revealed to me for any wisdom residing in me more than any other living man, but for the purpose of making the interpretation known to the king and that you may understand the thoughts of your mind. The purpose of revealing mysteries according to the Word of God is so that man will understand clearly the plan of God. You understand that? That's exactly what he's saying. You, O king, were looking, and behold, there was a single great statue. Here he is. He's revealing the dream. Never been done in the history of the world. He's revealing the dream. And there was a single great statue, and that statue, which was large and of extraordinary splendor, was standing in front of you, and its appearance was awesome. The head of the statue was made of fine gold. And as he's going on, I could picture Nebuchadnezzar's mouth drop open. And he sits up on his seat. And he's listening intently. Because this is right on the money. It says, the head of the statue was made of fine gold. And its breast and its arms of silver. And its belly and its thighs of bronze. And its legs of iron. And its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. It says, and you continued looking until a stone was cut out without hands. And it struck the statue on the feet of iron and clay and crushed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, the gold were crushed like all at the same time and became like chaff from summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them was found. But the stone that struck the statue became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream. Now we, who we? God and Him shall tell its interpretation before the king. I want you to notice something that's important as we go down through this because in verse 37... We have the timeline of the dream clearly told to us. And we are told that you, O king, are the king of kings to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom the power, the strength, and the glory. And wherever the sons of men dwell, or the beasts of the field, or the birds of the sky, he has given them into your hand and has caused you to rule over them. Okay, here's the timeline. You, Nebuchadnezzar, are the head of fine gold. You are the king, the head of fine gold. You are the top of that statue that he sees in his dream. And this will begin the timeline for us to understand accurately the prophecy that's about to be revealed. Nebuchadnezzar was a true monarch. Nebuchadnezzar did what he wanted whenever he wanted to do it. As we'll see as we go down through the rest of these kingdoms that are going to be established, Nebuchadnezzar was the last true monarch whom God had placed all of the kingdom at his disposal. I believe it's the same thing that Adam had. He had domain over, the, over all of God's kingdom. It says here that the, the beasts of the field and the birds of the sky, he has given them into your hand and has caused you to rule over them. I mean, if you stop and think about it, everything was in subjection to Nebuchadnezzar, and yet he didn't do a very good job, as we'll see, and yet he was the head of fine gold, as we see here. Literally, the the city of Babylon was a city filled with gold. Archaeology tells us that the walls that were around the city where chariot races took place were covered with plates of gold that were inlaid over top, and they raced their chariots on it. It was a literal city of gold, literally, and here Nebuchadnezzar was this, this head of fine gold. What's interesting as we see this, there's, there's a principle that's involved here, but each kingdom that we'll see that will be, be announced as to coming after the next is diminishing in capability. And I think it's important that we understand that. that, that as you see, the head of gold, the breast of silver, and then the thighs of bronze, and the feet of iron, or iron and clay, every kingdom began to diminish in capability. Now what's fascinating about that is this, if you believe evolutionists, what evolution wants to tell people is that Homo sapiens are increasing or progressing, and yet here God clearly teaches us, according to the plan of God, that the world is diminishing in capabilities and capacity. Think about that, and the arguments are very simple. What man do we know today that could name every species in the world? Adam was given the task of naming every, every one of God's creations, and he didn't struggle doing it. How many people live today to the year, you know, to be a thousand years old? We've got, you know, people over a hundred, but they're not that many. If you stop and think about it, everything's winding down. It's not increasing. We're not, you know, we may be technologically advancing, so to speak, but I challenge you to consider this. Even though computers and all the rest of this stuff, and you think about airplanes and all the stuff that has happened in the last fifty years, you know what? They're all falling apart. If you stop and think about it, they're getting recalled because of wiring problems and, and you know, they're, they're deteriorating. There's there's articles all the time about the the health of our country as far as the highway systems and bridges are concerned. The infrastructure of the United States is falling apart, a nation that's only 200 years old. What's fascinating is you can go to Egypt today and see pyramids that were built 3,500 years ago. They're still standing quite well. Or if you look at the Parthenon in Greece and places like that, they're still standing. The interesting point that we want to make as we go through this is this world is rapidly coming to a conclusion exactly as God says. We're not increasing in any stretch of the imagination. He goes on and he says, you know, we can't even find enough zip codes and and, uh, and, uh, area codes anymore. I mean, yeah, we're really brilliant. So he goes on and says, okay, basically that's it. So Nebuchadnezzar is the head of fine gold. He goes on and says, and after you there will rise another kingdom inferior to you. In case you challenge what I just said. Inferior to you, then another third kingdom of bronze, which will rule over the earth. And they will be a fourth kingdom as strong as iron and as much as iron crushes and shatters all things. So like iron that breaks in pieces, it will crush and break in all these pieces. And in that you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron. It will be divided kingdom, but it will have in it the toughness of iron and as much as you saw the iron mixed with clay. What's the point as he goes down through this? He's saying, hey, you know what? The second kingdom was the kingdom of the Medes and Persians. We have the advantage of hindsight to look back on this and find out that this is true. That Nebuchadnezzar and the the empire of Babylon was conquered by the Medes and the Persians, and the Persians were were well known for their silver. It was a divided kingdom. There were two cousins that ran the kingdom. The Medes and the Persians were two nations, and then they formed one chest of silver when they united, and then they formed one nation. As we look back in history, we can say, "Man, that thing was right on the money as far as what God had to say." The third was that of the belly of thighs, uh, the, the belly and the thighs of bronze, had to do with. As we look at this, had to do with the Greek Empire. Look what it says. And the third will rule over the entire earth. The the Greco-Macedonian Empire was the only empire that ruled the whole world. Alexander, at the age of, what was he, 32 years old, sat on the banks of the Euphrates River and cried because he had no more worlds to conquer. Conquered the world. goes on to say that the belly of thighs and iron and bronze, there would be another kingdom and the kingdom would be that of the legs of iron. The legs of iron. The empire of Rome that came and destroyed, it destroyed everything. Iron was a a stronger metal than all the preceding metals that we see here. And iron had to do with toughness and strength. The Roman Empire, when it went across the world, destroyed every one of its enemies so that there'd never be a thought in their mind that they'd ever have an insurrection against Rome. Anybody that got in their way, they crushed him just like iron crushes its opponent or foe. God's telling us He's laying out the future of what this world's coming to. He's laying all out for Nebuchadnezzar to understand it, that Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom would come to an end. The Medes and the Persians, with, the Medes and Persians would conquer him. And then one day, a nation, the Greco-Macedonian Empire, would rise up and destroy the Medes and the Persians. And then one day after that, the Romans would come in and destroy the Greeks. And it's all laid out very clearly as we go through this. And then we get to an interesting thing, and this has to do with the future, and that's this. All of these have already taken place. You can look historically and find out that they all took place. But what's fascinating in verse 42 is this. And as the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of pottery, so some of the kingdom will be strong and some of it will be brittle. And in what you saw, the iron mixed with common clay, they will combine with one another in the seed of men, but they will not adhere to one another, even as iron does not combine with pottery. The Bible goes on and says that one day in the future there will be a resurrection of the Roman Empire. You know, the Roman Empire was never destroyed. It fell apart from within because of moral failure, but it was never conquered by another nation. There was only four great kingdoms in the world, and that's the four that are exposed in this dream but one day the Roman Empire will be resurrected or revived, so to speak. It will come back to life in the form of ten nations that will align themselves in Europe. And what's fascinating, I saw a business article not too long ago, I think probably less than a month ago, that talked about eight nations at this point that had joined together and, and have uh, uh, um, formed an economic uh, consortium, so to speak, that will embrace one currency. And think about the economic clout that will take place when nations such as Italy and France and, I believe, Spain and, um, and Germany and who else was there? England, and and, uh, who else? Oh, yeah, and and the United Kingdom. Uh, Those nations, eight of them so far, have already agreed to go to one common currency for the purpose of what? There will be the resurrection of the Roman Empire. Isn't that fascinating? And we see that, and that's in the future. Yet we can look back to the past and see that everything took place exactly as God said it would take place, and therefore my question or challenge to you is this. Why then would you not believe what God has to say about the future? Everything that Nebuchadnezzar was told was told that would occur in the future. We have the benefit of hindsight, which is 2020, and history tells us that everything took place exactly as Nebuchadnezzar was told that it would take place. The only events that haven't taken place yet are the last two. And bear with me for this because we're not meeting for two weeks and I want to finish this right now. And that is simply this. Look what it says in verse 44. And in the days of those kings, when that takes place, when those nations arise, or rise up in Europe, in the days of those kings, there'll be ten of them, there'll be ten rulers, each to his own nation, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed, and that kingdom will be not left for another people. It will crush and put to an end all these kingdoms, but it will itself endure forever. Inasmuch as you saw that a stone was cut out of the mountains without hands, and that it crushed the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, The great God has made known to the king what will take place in the future, so the dream is true and its interpretation is trustworthy. Men and women, the answer to the question of what lies ahead or what this world is coming to is answered for us in this particular passage. There is a stone that is cut without human hands. The Bible says in Psalm 118, verse 22, The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. In Isaiah 28, "...I lay in Zion a stone for a foundation, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a true foundation, and whoever believes shall not be ashamed." Jesus Himself in Matthew 21, verses 42 through 46 says this, "...the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation bearing the fruits of it, and whoever falls on this stone will be broken." But on whomever it falls, it will grind him to a powder. Now the chief priests and Pharisees heard his parable, and they perceived that he was speaking of them. But when they sought to lay hands on them, they feared the multitudes because they took him for a prophet. Turn with me in the book of Acts to chapter 4 as we close and put this all together so that we have a very clear understanding of what this world's coming to. In Acts chapter 4, we see it laid out. Peter, preaching at Pentecost, said these words. Look chapter 4, verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we were on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man, as to how this man has been made well, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name, this man stands here before you in good health. He is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders but which became the very cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which men must be saved. Don't miss this. What is the world coming to? What is your world coming to? Very simply, it's coming to this. One day, Jesus Christ Himself will set up His kingdom here on earth. And there will be no remembrance of Babylon or, or Greece or Rome or, or the Medes and the Persians and all the other rulers that ever existed. They will be destroyed forever, the memory of them gone forever like chaff thrown up into the air and blown away with the wind. One day, Jesus Christ, the very cornerstone, the stone that was rejected, will return to this earth and He will set up His kingdom here on this earth. And every one of us have a choice to make at this point. He will, we will either fall upon that stone and be crushed or humbled or that stone will fall upon you and destroy you for all of eternity. God has given man a choice and the choice is simply this, that we humble ourselves and bring ourselves to the presence of God and we throw ourselves at the mercy of God and ask for forgiveness of our sins and believe what God says about the kingdom of God that is coming in the person of Jesus Christ who will rule and judge the living and the dead and in his kingdom there will be no end. One day we will give an account to him and it's either we give him an account to him today as we fall and ask for his mercy and forgiveness of our sins, And we throw ourselves at the foot of the cross believing that he died for our sins. And if we do that, the Bible says that that prayer will not be despised by God. That he will hear our prayer and that we will become new creatures. Those who are born again into the kingdom of God. That is a choice that we have. And if you reject that choice, the Bible says that that stone, that stone that will come from heaven isn't a comet that's going to destroy the earth. The stone that comes from heaven is the rock of heaven himself. The stone is Jesus Christ. And he will destroy men who have rejected him. And he will judge them. And he will crush them. And he will break them. The Bible says that Jesus, because of his obedience and willingness to go to the cross, cross for our sins... The Bible says, therefore, God has highly exalted him, a name, and given him a name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that he is Lord to the glory of God. Men and women don't misunderstand. You need to realize very seriously the implication of this dream that was given when it was. 6th century B.C., everything was future tense. And the coming of the kingdom of God is also. But we need to believe and trust in Him because He set a precedent and He's trustworthy. And what He says about the future is also true. Let me ask you a question. I'm not sure if I'm so much worried about what the world in general is coming to as much as I'm worried about what's my world coming to. And your world's coming to one of two things. Either you will put yourself in the mercy of God and believe in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and be made a child of God by believing in His name or you will be crushed and judged by that very stone and He will crush you and pulverize you and you will be judged and you will be sent to a place called hell and you will be rejected by God for all of eternity. That's the clear truth of the Word of God. But you know what? The world doesn't want to hear that message. It doesn't want to hear that those are the only two choices. It wants to hear we can work our way to heaven. It wants to hear that we can somehow in human wisdom figure out some other way. But there is no other way. God's plan is sovereign and it will be carried out. And what he is saying is very simply this. You know what, King, you can bank on this, you can believe it, because the interpretation is true. And you know what happened? It says that Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face. Prostrate before Daniel and paid him honor and ordered that an offering and incense be presented to him. The king said to Daniel, "Surely your God is a God of gods and Lord of kings." We're going to see an interesting thing occur in the life of Nebuchadnezzar throughout this series. We're going to see an adulterous king fall on his knees and his face and beg for mercy. of The God of heaven. He's not at that point yet. He's blown away that Daniel can answer the dream. But notice what he said: "Your God is a God." He didn't say our God. He didn't say my God. He hasn't humbled himself at the point yet where he's thrown himself prostrate before God. He's thrown himself prostrate before what he thinks is the wisdom of man. But Daniel deflected all of it and said, hey, this isn't about me. This is about you and about your relationship with God. You better get it right because you only have one chance in life. You better make that choice the right choice. He went on and he rewarded him as he said. And Daniel and his grace remembered his friends and they were all rewarded. And as we'll see, God honors his people who take a courageous stand and live a life that's of courage because we know that all things are in God's hands. Let me ask you the question in closing and that's this. What's your world coming to? What is your world coming to? Do you know that if your world came to an end today, do you know what would happen to you? Would you go to heaven? absent from the body and present with the Lord because you've believed in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins? If you don't know and it terrifies you to think about the prospects of what would happen, then I would suggest today that you get right with God. That you believe in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and one day that kingdom will come and that kingdom will endure forever and we will be subject to him for all of eternity. So you're going to pay either now or you're going to pay then but then it's too late. Today is the day of the Spirit of God. Today may be the last day you have a chance to make the right choice. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth of it, the relevancy of it. God, you're so trustworthy. You've proven to be trustworthy in what your word says is true. And Lord, I just pray for those today who don't know what their world would come to if today was their last day here on earth. That you would convict their heart of sin and righteousness and judgment of God. That you would convict them that they're going to have to give an account for their life. And you'd say, all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one of us. There's none of us that can ever stand in our own merit before you. God, I would just pray that you would convict their heart, that they would fall upon your mercy. That they would cry out to you for the forgiveness of their sin, and that you would hear their prayer, and that they would then give you the glory. God, you know their hearts. You know who's here. You know who's listening. And you hear their prayer. God, we just thank you that you hear us, just as you heard Daniel and his friends that we can cry out to you in the day of crisis and there's no greater crisis than not knowing what's going to happen to us after we die, God. Lord, thank you that you hear us and you deliver us from the, the penalty that would have to be paid of separation from you for all of eternity. God, we just thank you that you've forgiven us, that we now have peace with God through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that one day soon as we'll see Nebuchadnezzar too will find that peace as well. God, there's only one place that that peace can be found and that's with you through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. God, we look forward to the day when his kingdom will be established here upon this earth forever and ever. And his domain will have no end. And there will be no record or history of anything that had taken place before that. And that we can worship him and praise him for what he's done for us on the cross. God, we just thank you when we, in Christ's wonderful name that we pray these things. Amen.